Do I go back to working at a tech company? Do I go back to starting something again with some friends? So many different versions of who you can be. I was like, okay, let me go explore the broadness before I narrow back down. Or maybe I don't narrow back down and do a few different things. I don't know. I'm not in a hurry to answer it, but as long as I'm like working on interesting things. In this episode, I'm joined by Varad Jain, angel investor and early employee at Opendoor. Varad was previously on the founding team of Polymail, an email platform that was part of Y Combinator's spring 2016 batch. More recently, he spent three years at Opendoor, helping to scale the company from 200 employees to nearly 1,500. In this conversation, we discussed thinking about careers in seven-year intervals, how Varad got started with angel investing, and being helpful to founders without necessarily providing advice. Hope you enjoy Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to kick things off with a bit about Polymail. Varad, can you tell our listeners the story of how you ended up at Polymail after graduating from UCLA? Yeah. So Polymail was one of those things where when you just saw it, you were like, I have to be a part of this. At least like that's how I felt. And so to give you a little bit of history, the Polymail founders were Brandon, Brandon, and Shahan, Brandon Shin, Brandon Fu, and Shahan Khan. So I actually went to school with Brandon Fu and Shahan, and we started an organization over there called Brune Entrepreneurs, and we did a whole bunch of other things on campus together. And so we'd known each other very well, and they ended up starting a dev shop in LA called Control LA while I was actually in the summer of 2015 interning at a seed fund. And so that was essentially when they decided we want to move away from building apps for other people. We want to go build something of our own. So they decided on email as being one of the biggest problems when they were running a consultancy. I remember a couple of weeks later when we had the launch party for the fund, they showed up with their laptop and an alpha prototype. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be something. It was three engineers and I was like, hey, I think we should definitely add somebody who's not an engineer onto this team and that ended up being me. And yeah, that's how I ended up at Polymail. That's awesome. And you were employee number one. I'm sure that was a pretty interesting experience. November of 2016 rolls around and you realize your visa is expiring. What's going on in your head at this time? By November, I had actually just left Polymail and I was trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do next? I actually spent a little bit of time trying to think about whether I wanted to start something or not. And then essentially like trying to figure out the visa stuff at that time, it was like, okay, I have actually a little bit of time left. I should just go apply for jobs. And also up until this point, I've only done things that are at very, very small size of companies. And I was like, okay, there might be an opportunity for me to go learn at a maybe a slightly bigger company and just see what success looks like. My initial criteria was I want to go work on something that has heavy operations as well. I think there's a post by Chris Dixon, which is called Full Stack Startups. And so I was like, okay, this is the kind of company I want to go work at. And then a bunch of smart people I'd known at that time had joined, were joining Open Door. And I was like, okay, got to figure out how to work here. Ended up interviewing, got a role that was pretty interesting. And yeah, just in time before my visa expired, ended up starting at Open Door. And it sounds like you wore a few different hats at the company during your time there. Can you speak a little bit to how your role at the company changed over time? One of the first things I did was actually become the first support person before we moved to Phoenix. And my boss was a guy named Ryan Johnson. Literally on my first day, he just handed me a phone. He was like, okay, like, 
here talk to customers. I was like, okay, I don't even know what this company does. But that was essentially foreshadowing when about a month later, he was like, hey, I think we should actually trial this role and work on moving the team to Phoenix. And that was super interesting because then him, myself, and a couple of other people, all of us actually moved to Phoenix for almost two to three months to build a support team from ground up. So super interesting, like hiring that team, building out like what their playbooks are, what their metrics are, what their process workflow was. And then I think by March of 2017, they had their full-time manager join. And I was like, okay, cool. This was a lot of fun, but I got to go now, right? Then essentially came the opportunity to like move back into product where uh, we were going to get audited by the government and we needed to build both ops and product. And like, that was a unique opportunity for me to be like, hey, I can do both sides. And so essentially that was my first time where I was given a few different engineers and a few operations people. And they're like, we just trust you to do it. It was called Broker Admin was like the first product that I actually shipped at Open Door. It turned out to be a great success because we ended up passing that audit. And I, I still have the remarks from the auditor was like, the software made our auditing abilities significantly easier than we thought. You guys should actually sell this to all of the other brokerages, right? And that was like, okay, this, this is good validation, you know? So you're focusing on product and ops and you're with Open Door as the company scales from 200 employees to, you know, more than a thousand employees. So what are some of the big learnings or takeaways that you took from that experience as they pertain to growing and scaling a company? I tried to like obviously have takeaways from it, but I tried to not lean on it too much essentially because you don't know whether you learned are the right things or the wrong things. And so you don't want to be super generalized, but I think some things which was super interesting were focusing on the customer is obviously like the most important thing by far. Always inherently knew that, but how explicit and intentional open door is around it was super interesting to see. The focus on analytics was unlike anything I had ever seen where everyone essentially was writing SQL, running dashboards, and that analytical rigor was, I think, pretty valuable. It constantly hired very, very good people. And it showed that your company only grows as far as the most talented people it can hire. It's like a some version of like the Peter principle, essentially. And Opendoor just kept hiring very, very talented people who kept pushing the bar up higher and higher. Overall, it was a super positive, great, impactful time for me and for essentially three years. So you leave Open Door in December of 2019 and since then have been living your life in a slightly more unconventional way. Can you tell our listeners what you've been up to since then? Yes. Yeah, so I left Open Door in December. And at that point, I was, I was trying to think about, okay, like what do I want to be doing with my time? And one of the things that was a moment of clarity for me is I know I'm definitely the kind of person who's going to work for the rest of their lives. And so I was like, okay, I had this good seven years of three years of school, a year of working at Polymail, and then three years at Open Door. If we think about life in like seven-year chunks, it'll be good to take a little bit of a break in the middle so that I can figure out where I want to live, what I want to work on next, spend some time traveling, like see new places. It's essentially a time for self-directed learning and execution to see what interests me that I might not have been doing in the past. And it's funny because I think everyone goes through a version of this when they're either switching jobs or trying to make a change in their career. You're obviously working on different things, but you're taking a more deliberate approach to thinking through what problems do I want to tackle next and how do I want to structure my life? Right, exactly. Do I go back to working at a tech company? Do I go back to starting something again with some friends, right? Or do I want to maybe spend a little more time on the investing side? There's so many different versions of who you can be. 
I was like, okay, let me go explore the broadness before I narrow back down. Or maybe I don't narrow back down and do a few different things. I don't know. I'm not in a hurry to answer it. But as long as I'm like working on interesting things, I, I will be hopefully able to structure my life in a way that I'm excited for the next seven years. So Vard, I know you mentioned you spent time at a seed fund in LA during your time in college. Uh, yeah. Also an angel investor. How did you get started with that? Uh, and can you speak a little bit to things that might help folks who want to get started with angel investing in general? So I, I think I'm still super early and have a lot to prove in terms of being an angel investor. I guess like a good place to start to understand this or answer your question is why did I start doing it? And so essentially I've been in and around companies since the earliest days of colleges. And then even when I was at Polymail, I was helping out other early stage companies. Even at Open Door, I think I spent about like 10 to 15% of my time when I was not working with early stage companies, helping in any way somebody else's vision come to life about something that they want to see in the world especially if you can get excited about it as well, at least like something that like motivates me. And so knowing that that might be the case and leaning into that, I was like, okay, I have a little bit of money now. I can write like 5K checks, 10K checks basically into companies. And if I'm already spending time, my time's actually more valuable than my money, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, I'm not getting the time back at all. I can definitely earn more money in my life. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and it also allows you to have like aligned incentives with the people you work with and stuff like that. I, and I'm very well aware that this money I might never get back. I'm clear of my motivations. I know what I'm getting myself into. I know it might not end well uh, or it might end amazing. Mm-hmm. It's completely possible. I don't think that like fully answers your question of advice for other folks who want to get started, mm-hmm. but at least like that was my journey into it. So you've now seen some of both sides, you know, both as an operator at Polymill and Open Door, now as an angel investor. Curious to hear what are some aspects of the venture ecosystem that you feel could be improved? You know, in what ways are we not serving founders quite as well as we could? This is a challenging question, I think, especially at this time, because I think if we just narrow the scope to the earliest days of a company pre like series A, like pre-seed and seed, mm-hmm. I actually think most people are being served in most ways that they want to, right? Like Because there's so many funds, there's so much money, there's all of these solo GPs or operator angels that bring a ton of experience, but like help you with go-to-market, help you with product, help you with recruiting. So I think that is like a significant improvement than maybe like just money is money from maybe like four or five years ago. I think one of just the inherent challenges of all of this is you'll get conflicting advice all the time. There's no like conflict resolution of different advice. Like that's a challenge, right? Yeah. And I think the main point there is that the way in which they're not being served is not that it's too hard to get capital. You know, founders can get capital if they're able to go out and cold email or what have you. But the tough part, it seems like for founders is being able to sift through all the advice and feedback they're getting from investors and choose the thing that's actually going to help their business to grow. And it comes back to the old Ben Horowitz hard thing about hard things. You know, the hard thing about hard things is that no one can solve the problem at the end of the day, but you, you can get the feedback, but the challenge and the onus is upon you as the founder to actually figure out what's the thing that I need to do to solve this problem. Fair, fair. Uh, The one thing I will say to push back on that a little bit is that there are certain ways in which your investors are not really investors and can actually help you solve the problems, like helping pose a candidate what is the playbook of finding product market fit, right? Or how do you build your first support team? Like these are very, very tangible things that people can help you with. And of course, we're in the golden age of open access of knowledge and content, right? Um, if somebody's going to spend like 10% of that time helping you write your press blurb before you pitch reporters, 
that's like very valuable, right? Of course, you need to sign off on it, but you can definitely be helped in tangible ways, even those who don't work at you. Absolutely. And that's where I think operator angels come into play so much. And it's like, say someone goes to you, Vard, and they're like, okay, I want to launch a product in the home loan space. You're very well informed to go give that person advice. Right. I would try and not structure. I feel like I'm bad at this. I definitely fall into the trap that everybody does of giving people advice. And I try to stop myself. I like, don't know the right answers. I should not structure this as advice with so much confidence, basically. But I think I try to make it, I have seen it this way. What parts are relevant to you? We can debate and discuss because I've seen certain things, but I try to avoid the word advice as much as I can. Yeah, it's that constant challenge of how do I challenge your thinking without necessarily giving the instructive of like, you should do this or that. So I'm not sure whether that's right or wrong. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Vard, just kind of the last question here that Ethan and I like to ask all our guests on the podcast. What are some of your favorite books and podcasts and how have they changed the way that you view the world? There's a great book that I'm reading right now called narconomics which is how to run a drug cartel it's definitely an interesting book like if you ignore the morality for a second and just like look at it as a business there's lots of interesting things that you can learn from there i reread the elephant in the brain which is like hidden motives on how humans are like we're deluding ourselves you know one of those books which is more like a pop culture book similar to thinking fast and slow you get all this information and you're like what do i do with it you know i can maybe remember one or two uh, maybe like three key anecdotes from the book but like the other 25 i have no idea like which is why those are the kind of books i actually try to read once a year so that i have learned and seen new things and hopefully my own experiences i can layer on top of the frameworks of the book mm-hmm. and try to have new learnings from it basically and so like, that's one of those books that i feel that way and i'll definitely have to check those out in particular the narconomics i don't have any plans of running a drug cartel anytime soon but i do think that there's probably some knowledge and wisdom in there about how to run a good business. But Varad, thanks so much for coming on the show. Of course, thank you for having me. This has been Ashley Tyson with Worth. You can find show notes below or at worth.card.co. That's card with two R's. Thanks for your time.